you, Lindsay. How's everybody doing today? Happy Labor Day weekend. Yeah, um, my name's Eric, and this is the second week of this series that we're calling 12 Words. Uh, and and uh, we're looking at something called essential faith. And the idea behind this series was that we wanted to strip away some of the maybe kind of what we call feature creep or the misunderstandings and things that get added on to spirituality and faith and Christianity that, that maybe aren't essential to the journey of faith. And so last week, I, I threw out the idea that if you just ask Jesus, like, look, what's faith for? What, did, what have you come to do, Jesus? He actually helpfully, very, uh, he said in John chapter 10, he said that I have come, he has come so that we can have life. And it's not just any kind of life, but it is a, a full life. It is a rich life. It is abundant life, depending on the translation that you might uh, be familiar with. And so if that's the, the, the tool, if that's the, the goal of, fear, of faith and spirituality, the, the next question is like, well, how do we get this life? Like, how do we, how do we experience it? And what we're going to be doing over these 12 weeks is looking at a pathway, at a path to get us to life, a pathway to get us to a rich life, a full life, an abundant life. And so we're introducing one word or one concept a week, and they, they kind of build on themselves, and they are sequential. So we're going to uh, sort of always go back every week and look at where we've been and where we're going. Last week, we talked about the idea of powerlessness or powerless, being powerless, is the, is the thing that starts the journey. Because we have to come to terms with the fact that as much as we like to think that we're God, we are not and neither are we very well equipped to be God, and that most of our troubles, if not all of our troubles in the world, uh, come from the idea that we keep just trying to be God. And we fall into the trap of saying, if we can just control our lives and control them absolutely, and control circumstances and people absolutely, then all oh, life will be great. But if you've ever tried to actually do that, you'll usually find out that life doesn't get so great. Or it maybe stays what you think is great for a while before it blows up. And you find that, oh, guess what? You cannot control life or people or circumstances. So this week, we're going to talk about the idea of, of hope. Last week, we, we had the opportunity to sign our names or put something on, on, a, on a phone a piece of foam core over there that just said, look, I'm ready to surrender. You know, I, I give up this situation. I give up this person. I give, I, I surrender my idea to be all powerful in my life, right? And now the next thing that happens is like, okay, so I've done that. Is where does hope come from? What is, what is next? And what's next is the idea that something or somebody is out there who, even though you are not God, somebody else is, thankfully. And that should be a source of hope and comfort. So what I want to do is, is talk to you guys and walk you through one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's in the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Genesis 12, it's going to be in the first probably dozen pages of your text. And we're going to walk through the story of a guy named Abram. And I just want to walk through the text in order today, make some comments 
and talk to you about how he experienced uh, the, the surrender and a journey of hope. And so we're just going to start in, in uh, actually in chapter 11. And so it starts off this way, 11 uh, verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram. That's who we're going to be talking about today. Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. Everybody say Ur. That's just a fun word, isn't it? In the, in the land of his birth, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. So uh, a little bit of context. You know, the main characters of our story are going to be Abram. His wife, Sarai, is an important uh, character, and her circumstances are important to us. But I also want to uh, offer to you that their hometown is important to the story. They lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. And let me show you where Ur is located. We know this. Archaeology is our friend. Ur exists down in the, um, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. There it is. Uh, Ur exists in the lower right-hand corner. It is in modern-day Iraq. It is near the Persian Gulf. And Ur in the ancient world is a, is a very famous, very affluent, very wealthy city. Because cities that exist near big bodies of water and it exists right on these, these big rivers, the, 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 the Tigris and the Euphrates, that means that it is a, a center of trade. And it is a center of, of, of cosmopolitanism. You know, port cities, until they get flooded by hurricanes, tend to be places where lots of industry comes in and lots of different people come together. They're places of culture. They're places of economic prosperity. This is where Abram is from. It's a, it's a, it's a happening place in the ancient world. And archaeologists have excavated Ur, and they were like, yeah, it's a big thing. It's a big city. So, moving on in our story a little bit. Uh, verse 31 and 32. Terah took his son Abram, his, grands, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there and then it says, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So they move. They, they, they pick up, and they leave Ur, and they go to a place called Haran, which is uh, up in the, you know, sort of in the center of this image. Now, we don't know a lot about Haran, but we do know a little bit. It's not on the coast. Um, it is on uh, a river route. And it is another area of trade. It's not nearly as affluent, not nearly as spectacular as, as Ur. It is like a major tent city, but it is still a thriving sort of place in terms of commerce and people, right? But the text says in verse 32 that they went to Haran, but they were going somewhere else. They were actually 
on their way to Canaan, right? Which is down there. Now, Canaan, Canaan is uh, the opposite of Ur. Right? It, is in, it is in the middle of nowhere. It is the wilderness. It is the sticks. It is literally the opposite of Ur, right? So, uh, you know, f- in, to put this in stark terms and uh, in, in the terms for my life, I uh, lived in Chicago for 10 or 11 years. Now, um, Chicago is on Lake Michigan. You know, it's a thriving city, a lot of a lot of banking, a lot of uh, um, stock market activity, cr- uh, computer, everything you want, you know, theater, culture, uh, financials, prosperity, all in Chicago, parks, uh, just everything you can imagine. Now, let me, let me tell you about a, a town that my sister lived in, in Texas. Uh, it's called Toller, Texas. Um, I did not know this until she moved to Toller, but in Texas, they're so crazy about football. Maybe it's like this everywhere, but I didn't know about this. They, they were so crazy about football, but they were so small that they could not field an 11-man football team in high school. So they had this thing called six-man football teams in high school. Anybody ever heard of this? Yeah, okay, so it's not just crazy. The population of Toller is about 500 to 600 people. This is, a, this is a shot of their downtown, okay? From, from Chicago to Toler is kind of like from Ur to Canaan. You don't go there just naturally. You're like, hey, let's, get, let's go for a change of pace. Let's go someplace new and different. Let's go to Toler. You don't. There's like 500, 600 people there. You can't even get an 11-man football team out of it. But the text says that that's where they are headed. They are headed from Ur to Canaan. Now, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, he said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. All right, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, there's a couple of things happening in this verse that are really interesting. The first thing is actually the last thing that happens in the verse, and that is God doesn't even name Canaan, does he? He says, go to the land that I'll show you. So you add to the fact of like, hey, we're leaving Ur, we're leaving this fabulous city, and then we're going to go to Haran, and that's kind of like a step down, but there's still a lot going on. But now we're going to go to Canaan. What? Canaan? But then God actually puts another level into it, and he says, actually, go to the land that I'll show you. So now God isn't even giving him Canaan. God's giving him, just go, and then when you get there, I'll show it to you. Now, now think about this, because it's really easy to kind of, if you've grown up in the church and the faith, like it's easy to put your Sunday school hat on and go, yes, well, Abram believed God. But put yourself in Abram's family's shoes. Okay, guys, we're going to go from a place of affluence and security, and we're going to go way down the social ladder. And, oh, by the way, we're not even really sure where we're going to end up. We're just going. This is a risky move. 
And what's more is when you read that verse that says, leave your father's house, your family, uh, everything, and just go. You've got to also understand that what's at stake in Abram's context is huge. Because in the ancient world, and especially even in this time of the Bible, when you talk about you leave your, your father's house and your family, first of all, that is your world. The family is your social world. It's everything. You don't have, you know, Mesopotamian Facebook where you have, you know, I have a thousand friends, right? No, you've got uh, like 20 people in your world and you're all related and you're related to every single one of them. That is your world. And so the call to Abram comes and says, hey, first of all, leave everything you know. Every socially secure person and, and relationship you have and just leave it behind. And not only that, but in this context, when God is still kind of figuring out uh, what the rescue plan for the world is going to look like, Abram's context, every house had their own gods. Every house had their own gods. And they were a big deal for this, for this culture. Because how else were you going to get the crops to grow? You know, there was not a savings account in the ancient world. If the crops didn't grow, guess what? You didn't eat. How else are we going to protect our flocks? And so every house kind of said, look, guys, we have to make sure that, that the crops are, are growing. So make sure that we are in touch with our gods, you know, and, and who your father's gods were were who your gods were. And God says to Abram, hey, leave all of that behind. Every now, every element of spiritual security that you have, leave it behind. Just take off and go to the land that I'll show you. Really? That's the bargain, God? Right? Like I said, I think it's really easy if I, if I slip into Sunday school mode and I go, well, sure, yeah. But think about this in Abram's context. This is unheard of. It's unprecedented. It is not normal. So then, the text continues. God says, I will make you, Abram, into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The problem comes up in the very first phrase. I'll make you into a great nation. What's the problem? His wife can't have children. And so the deal is, Abram, leave everything behind. Abram, go to the land that I'll show you. You'll figure it out when you get there. It's probably going to be not nearly as good as Ur. Oh, and, Ur, and Abram, but don't worry about it. When you get there, I'm going to make you into a nation. Never mind that your wife can't have children. How's the deal sounding now? Has God sweetened the pot for you yet enough? All right. And so, verse 4. <laughs> so Abram went. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. He was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, 
all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So, Abram, just from this text, he's a wealthy person. He's got stuff. He has acquired things. But he's taking all those things and he's going to the wilderness and to the desert and to the place of unknown for a promise that has no earthly chance of coming true. I'm going to make you into a great nation. He's on his way from Chicago to Tola for a, something out there that's mysterious. I'm going to make you into a great nation, never mind that your wife can't have children. It is, I mean, it is like the definition of unbelievable. It's an unbelievable promise in a way. So um, a lot of you guys know that uh, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of this band uh, called Nine Inch Nails. Um, and uh, that's the lead singer pretty much the entire uh, He's the person of the entire project. Trent Reznor is his name. And uh, I, I kind of love the music because I think it was Bono once that said, the most vital music in the world is made from people who are running either directly to God or directly away from God. And Trent Reznor, for, for, uh, in so many ways, is, seems to be a person who is running directly away from God. But while he runs away, he expresses things in his heart that are so open and honest and it appeals to me because he just calls it, what it, calls it what it is and what's going on in his heart. In 2005, he, uh, he was already at the top of his game. He had ascended the charts and was super famous. But by 2005, uh, Trent Reznor was uh, badly addicted to heroin. And, uh, and his life had gotten uh, to, to the point where a lot of, you know, it's kind of like behind the music. It's always the same story, you know, <laughs> great fame and then uh, some kind of addiction. And, and he was sort of at the point where he was like, you know, I'm ready to commit suicide. I'm just done. And then something happened in his life and he opened himself up to, to the idea that life could be better for himself. And so he um, essentially hit his rock bottom and he decided to get clean. And in 2005, he recorded a record that was it's one of my favorite records by the band. It's called With Teeth. And it's actually a really, really direct and honest account of what addiction is like and the hope of recovery. And he had this song on it that I'm going to share with you, at least a, you know, a little bit of a verse and a chorus or two, um, where he talks about I think the thing that makes maybe Abram get up and go from the place of Ur or the place of Haran and go into the mystery and go into the unbelievable promise. So the song is called Every Day is Exactly the Same. We're going to listen to it, and the, the lyrics are just going to be on the screen. So just take a listen and read the lyrics, please.
When I listen to that song and I think of the journey that Abraham or Abram goes on, things start to fall into place when I think about the idea that, you know, a lot of us can get into this cycle where literally every day that we live is the same. So much so that, like, I love the first line, I think I could see the future because I've done the same thing and I've experienced the same thing over and over again so much that I can tell you how this is all going to play out. And we get stuck in cycles of, of anger or pain or addiction or rage. And then no matter whether we live in Ur or Chicago or Tallahassee or Toler, the cycle is just here. And every day we experience it. And we experience it. And the chorus says, there's no love here and there's no pain. It is a numbness. And so we use the things of our life to, to hold off love because that's too uncomfortable for us. And we also use the things uh, that we have at our disposal, whether it's drugs or, or shopping or TV or pornography, we also use it to hold off the pain of our lives because pain hurts, even though it is a great teacher. And so while we do that, it's just a daily numbing, is it not? And you can be in Ur or Chicago or New York City, and every day is the same until, until you open yourself up to a journey. Until something or somebody or God shows up and says, hey, what if there was something new? And, and it might mean that you have to leave where you're at and go to Haran or, or Canaan or, or go to someplace that I'm not even going to tell you where it's at. But what if it's just new? And that is the beginning of hope. Because hope dares to entertain that every day is not the same. Hope dares to entertain the idea of like, wait a minute, no matter how many days I've been doing this, no matter how far I can look back to my past and say, I've done this every single day. I've, I've taken this drink every single day. I've sat at this computer every single night. Repeating all these routines, hope says, but there's something or somebody out there who can introduce something new if you will go on the journey. Anybody ever been there? Here's the way I would say it. 
To entertain hope is to entertain the thought that there is a possibility of radical newness and freshness even in the midst of numbing cycles of sameness. It's to believe that in the midst of our pain, if we are willing, someone or something greater than ourselves can guide us to a new start. So the first thing we do is say, look, I can't control my world. I'm powerless. The second thing is to say, Something out there has the power I need. And so you start the journey. Now listen, there's something about the journey that we need to come to terms with. Verse 6 and 7, the story goes on. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So he is in the land The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. Again, what's the problem here? Get it, God. But, so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then uh, we're going to skip just the next couple verses because I want to point out what happens next. In verse 10, now there was a famine in the land and Abram does what? He goes to Egypt to live there a while because the famine was severe. And what this gets at to me, and let me, let me unpack this uh, a little bit. So Abram goes to the place that God tells him to go, and it's already pretty bad because it's Canaan, let's be honest. It's not Ur, it's not Haran, but then it gets even worse Because there's a famine. And so what does Abram do? He's like, I'm out of this. Because Egypt's just down the road. Egypt is the regional, like, superpower. There's food in Egypt. So Abram bails on the journey. He gets to the place that God tells him to do. And it's like, again, if you're thinking about this in Sunday school, like, oh, Father Abraham had many sons and he was so faithful. But Abram gets to the place that God told him to go. And then he's like, I'm out of here, God. This is too hard. It's too hard. Not only is it not Ur, there's no theater, there's no great coffee shops, but then you give me a famine? I'm going to Egypt because there's food there. How do you deal with disappointment on your spiritual journey? How do you deal with when God throws not just a little curveball, but the, uh, the, oh, what is that, God? How do you deal with that? Because Abram, he's like, I got to take a break here, God. You You have gone over the line. I've taken the hit to go to this wasteland. But now you create a famine. You see, if we were were thinking about this in terms of safe faith terms, we'd say, well, no, Abram just stayed there and prayed a while and worked harder. But Abram doesn't. And what this gets at to me is the fact that we don't need to be perfect. You see, I think this story is in the Bible because I'm meant to identify with Abram a little bit. Not just with the safe parts. 
oh, Abram went, did all this journey, and I've done this journey, and isn't that cool? But the times when Abram stumbles, and he bails on the promise, and he bails on the journey. Well, how many times have I bailed on the promise? How many times have I bailed on the journey? How many times when it got too bad, it got too hard, I said, God, I need something to make myself feel better. Am I, am I, am I touching any nerves here? Because we all do it, you see. And it doesn't hurt to take off the mask and say, I'm not perfect, because Abram would have said, man, I'm not perfect either. I wanted to just get there and say, yes, God, I'm in Canaan, and, and, and you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. But he's like, it's too hard, God. And I want to offer you guys a, a couple thoughts here. Just, we're almost done. But like, uh, so one of the most influential people, influential authors and, and speakers and teachers in my life is a guy named Brendan Manning. And he's lived this journey. I read this just this morning. I wanted to share it with you. The reality of naked trust is the life of a pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down, obvious, and secure. And he walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future. Because I think we're all good with the first part, but the guarantee of the future, that's what we really want. Why? Because God has signaled the movement and offered it his presence and his promise. I'm going to make you a nation, Abram. God, do you know my wife? God, there's no food here. And, 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 and the reason this is so important is because I know there are people in our community, because I talk to you guys, who would tell me, look, I don't know where I'm at with this faith thing. I don't know where I'm at with this God thing. I think I might be more skeptical than faithful. I would offer you the story of Abram. He's two steps forward, one step back. You see, we think that faith is this thing that we just get. Bam, I got faith now. But maybe it's like this. Here's the way I would say it again. Faith is not necessarily binary. It's not all on or off. Maybe it's like a journey, an awakening, a growing reorientation. And all that's necessary is a willingness to be willing. Because that's all Abram was. God, I'm willing to be willing that there's something better than, than Ur and Haran. Yeah, I see my wife. Yeah, this is downward mobility. Yeah, there's a famine. But I'm willing to be willing to listen to you. So the journey is messy. And if you don't have it all figured out, I would say you're in good company because neither did Abram and neither did most other people in the Bible. And neither do I. Sometimes I do take two steps forward and one step back because life is hard. But that is okay. So, we want, if you're like me, there gets to be a point in your life where you desperately want something new. Where you live this life of every day is the same. God, I do the same things. I make the same mistakes. I have the same disastrous thoughts. God, could you send me something new? And we want that hope. 
And all we have to do is to make a beginning to say, I think you have something better, God. I'm going to start thinking about this and taking one step after another. And sometimes I'm going to go back, but then I'm just going to keep going forward. I read this this week, that faith is actually really just uh, rightly relating to God and it essentially just involves a change of focus. You see, if you think that you're all powerful, then your, your focus is all here. Because I do it all. I control the world. Faith means somebody else does. It means somebody else does. I may not understand it all right then, but it just changes my focus from here to here. And you just start the journey. And you do this because you, you, you hope and we pray, and I believe, because I've come to see it, that at the end of this journey, life will make a little more sense. Because that's the promise. It's not money. It's not stature, because you might end up in Ur, or you might end up in Canaan. You go because you need to have your life make more sense. And so you start. So each week, you know, we want to be able to kind of give you guys a way to respond and just make some marks and, and, and leave something, uh, and make a line in the sand. And so today... Uh, we have this foam core up here again, and there's pens again. And I want to talk to two people in specific, specifically, two groups of people, and some of you guys might overlap. So some of you guys, uh, are, you know you're on the journey, or you know you're ready to take the journey. To me, I think the journey, I have to do the journey every day, because I wake up every day sometimes with insane thoughts. And I have to reorient myself to God again. You're God, I'm not. And so for the first group of you guys who are like, you know what, I'm on the journey or I'm ready to make the journey, just come up here and just write, I'm ready. Or I'm willing. Like you're there. Take me, God. Don't know where it's going? Go to the land that I'll show you. Oh. I don't know, God, but any place is better than here. And you just know that. So just write it. Now, for those of you guys who you're like, man, I am not ready for that journey. And maybe you know somebody. Maybe you're not there, but you know somebody who is. There's this little cards here. And on the back of this card, it has something I want to offer you guys as a 30-day experiment. And, the, and the, the card just says, God Meet me where I am today. So if you would say, I'm not ready to take that journey, but I'm curious, I'd say take this and pray this prayer every day for 30 days. And just see what happens. Just see what happens. God, meet me where I am today. And keep your eyes open and your ears open 
for how he might be guiding you. The hope is in somebody and something that's bigger and stronger and greater than ourselves who can guide us to the place where our life makes sense and we don't have to repeat the past over and over again. It's an adventure, but it's an adventure into mystery. And most of us don't like mystery. <laughs> Let's pray.